Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah will be in chapter number 4 tonight. Zechariah chapter number 4, which I think is one of the most fundamental lessons given in the entire Bible outside the gospel, especially for anybody who wants to do ministry of any sort. Uh, This vision that uh, Zechariah gives us here is is of necessity for any type of ministry. And so the lesson in it is what we'll learn tonight, where the power comes from is is, uh, necessary for all of us that want to do ministry. Uh, Tonight we'll be looking at the fifth of eight visions uh, and we'll be looking at the vision of the lampstand and the two olive trees. And it's going to be a pretty easy vision to figure out for us because we've been in the book of Revelation and we've been looking at the lampstands and, and uh, we know what, what the olive oil is all about. It's the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be able to figure this vision out. It's not going to be as difficult as the, some of the previous visions we've been looking at. But there's great application here. Uh, for all of us, uh, so it's very important that, that we get the. If you don't haven't gotten this lesson already, uh, it's important that you you get it if you do want to minister to others. Uh, so we pick up the vision in verse number one, and it says, "And the angel who talked with me, and this is Zechariah speaking, the angel of the Lord, uh, came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened." Of his sleep. Now, one of the things we get from that little narrative right there is the fact that this is a vision. These are not dreams. Some people call these dreams, but they're not dreams because he's he's being uh, wakened from his sleep in order to get a fresh vision from God. Now, you got to put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. When you, whenever you deal with the things of the Lord, it will weary you. I mean, I don't know what it is about. Sunday afternoons. I mean, I, I was I was telling Brenda how tired I was Sunday, but but I mean Saturday night I went to bed about eleven and woke up about seven, and so I got about eight hours sleep. But I got to tell you, I felt like you know I felt like I was just about to pass out because whenever you put your mind and to to serve in the Lord and you and you fight the powers to be by you know hopefully by the Spirit of God, it wears you out. And so here's. Zechariah and he's having this series of visions and it's straining his mind and straining his body and and so he takes a nap and so I mean he the Lord doesn't let him sleep long he comes and wakes him up because he's got another vision to give him and he gives him this vision of this beautiful sight uh, in heaven uh, that's just full of symbolism so so look at verse number two and he said to me what do you see so I said I'm Looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. Now, that's a little bit different from the lampstands that we see uh, in uh, the book of Revelation because Jesus is walking in the midst of those lampstands, and, and the Jesus is speaking to Zechariah here. But anyway, you see this lampstand with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes uh, which feed the oil to the lamp, seven pipes going to the seven lamps. Now, we know that this lamp stand is a menorah, which is one of the symbols of Israel. And so it's got seven uh, places for, for lights on it. And, and it's fueled by, by oil. So it's an oil lamp. Uh, and uh, 
like I said earlier, it ought to be familiar to all of us because we've been looking at this lampstands or these lampstands in the book of Revelation. Remember in chapter 1, we were given a vision of seven lamps and Jesus was walking in the midst of those lampstands and what did, what, did they, what did Jesus tell John? That those lampstands are the church. They, they represent the church. So it's a little bit different, but whenever you think of the church, the true church, you have to think of the church in connection with the Holy Spirit. And so it fits perfectly there because when, when John gets to heaven in chapter 4, he sees these seven lampstands again, and we're told that they are the seven spirits of God. And so when the seven churches that Jesus was speaking to weren't dead yet, they had the spirit of God because they, they were, Jesus was walking in the midst of them and he was giving his spirit to, to the uh, church. But Zechariah's vision isn't about the church. What's his vision about? Who, who's, he, who's he ministering to? The Israelites. So he's speaking about the relationship of the Holy Spirit to Israel. And so this menorah represents the Spirit of God going out uh, into the, to these remnant of Israelites and to the leaders of, of the Israelites who are the leaders. We know their two names. Zerubbabel is the governor and Joshua is the high priest. And uh, he's given them light and he's given them aid and he's given them strength. Now, on top of this lampstand is a golden bowl. Now, what's the golden bowl holding? It's holding the oil. It's a reservoir of oil, and it pictures an unlimited, infinite reservoir of oil going from God to uh, Israel. And so, uh, again, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and this is where it gets just a little bit confusing in verse number three. He says, Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. Now, some people interpret it that the two olive trees are the source of the oil, but they're not the source of the oil. They're the, manifestation, they're, they're the manifestation of the oil uh, on earth, and, and they're manifested on earth through these two witnesses who are who? Zerubbabel and Joshua. And so uh, uh, that's the, they're the olive trees that he's speaking of here. And so they're the ones with the oil on earth. But where, where's the oil coming from? It's coming from God in heaven. All right, now, in verse number four, so I answered, he, he really didn't answer, he asked a question. So I answered with a question and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, who are these, my Lord? Now, when he says these here, he's talking about all the signs that he's seen in his vision. What are all these things that I'm seeing in his vision? Then the angel who walked with me answered and said to me, do you not know who these are? You ought to know who these are. And I said, no, my Lord, uh, I don't. So he answered and said to me that these signs that you're seeing, are a message that I want to give to the two olive trees, these two men who are given the Spirit of God to do my work. And this is the message that I want to give them. They're, they're, the, they're the ones who are the recipients of my Spirit on earth. And this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel and to Joshua, you could add. And this is a very important 
concept or very important precept right here. Not a concept. But he says, not by my might, or, or I'm sorry, not by your might, or not by might, not by your might, you could say, nor by your power, but by, not by human might or human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And again, the Lord who has all power. When we see Jehovah Sabaoth, that's in the context of the Lord's power. And he has all power. And so this task that has been given to you, you're not going to be able to do it in your own strength. You're only going to be able to, only going to, be able to do it by the power of the Lord. Uh, J. Vernon McGee translates this verse this way. He says, it's not by brawn nor brain, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, this reconstruction of Jerusalem and this reconstruction of the temple, you're not going to be able to figure out how to do it. You don't have the power to do it. You don't have the resources to do it, but you can do it by my spirit. If you'll just take step number one in faith and you'll go out and do what I tell you to do, we'll get this thing done. Now, that's a message that every believer needs to get down. And we, a lot of people say they've got that down, but really, you, you, you're around them long enough, you figure out they really don't have that down. Uh, it's not by our brain nor our brawn that we're going to get anything done for the kingdom of God. It's by, if we want to be successful in the things of the kingdom of God, it's going to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be done God's way in God, with God's strength. Now, I don't think this little group of Israelites here had much difficulty in receiving this message because I think they understood that they weren't going to get this done without the power of the Lord. In fact, they were at this point, they were ready to give up. They were, they were quitting. They were going back to their homes and rebuilding their homes and working on the wall of Jerusalem and doing some of those things. But they had pretty much given up building this temple and rebuilding all of Jerusalem. And so their choice was to give up or their, their choice was if, to do the will of God by the power of God. So they really had no choice if they were going to get the thing done. They had to do it by the power of God. They had no resources. They were 35,000 people in the midst of a million pagans. And so they, they didn't have the power to do it. They didn't have the military to do it. They, they didn't have the resources to do it. They, and so uh, they didn't have the faith to do it, really. And the only way they were going to do this was if God gave them the faith and he gave them the power and uh, they knew this was impossible. And so they knew they needed the wisdom of God. They knew they needed the direction of God. They knew they needed the power of God. You know, that's, sadly, that's not true for most of the church and most, many Christians in the United States today. I mean, that's a very difficult concept for us to grasp. Now, we'll say we've, we, oh, I'm doing this by the Spirit of God. I hear that all the time. I want to be doing this by the Spirit of God, but I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to bless it. That's not what Zerubbabel's talking about. I mean, that's not what God's telling Zerubbabel about here, Zerubbabel right here. He's telling him that you've got to do it by my power. And I think part of that blame is on the professional clergy that we have, they've gone to seminary, they think they've got all the answers, and if they don't have the answers, you can find them in a book somewhere, you can find them, uh, you can, you can, you can uh, 
get them from a counselor or you can get them from a, your lawyer or uh, from the government or somewhere other than, than God. It seems like God is the last person that we turn to to fix our problems and to empower us to do what he wants us to do. And, and, and there are a lot of people who say they need God, but in reality they act as if God doesn't exist. They act as if they, that, uh, they really don't need God, that they can fix this problem all on their own. Or some other person can fix this problem for them. Or some relative can fix this problem for them. And I don't know what God's going to have to do to move us to a point of brokenness where we are like this little remnant of Israelites and we realize that nothing of any value is going to happen outside a move of the Spirit of God. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, we can't fix, obviously we can't fix the problem with our nation through, through, uh, through our government, through our education, through our doctors, through our lawyers, through our counselors. The problems that we have in America are too big for us. There are all sorts of mountains facing us. And the only way that those mountains are going to be moved is by the power of of God. And if we give things to God and we follow God's direction, then God does great things through us. That's the lesson of this, this little vision that he gives Zechariah to give to Zerubbabel and Joshua, this word. And then when we do that, when we truly rely on the Lord, when we learn to rely on the Lord, listen to what he says in verse number seven. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. In other words, you, all the obstacles that, you're, that are in front of you will be removed. And he shall bring forth the capstone. He's talking about Zerubbabel. You're going to be able to put down the foundation and you're going to be able to finish the project, but you're going to do it with shouts of what? Grace. Grace to it. It's going to be done by the grace of the Lord. Now, I've got to tell you, this little group of Israelites, they had a mountain of problems. Brenda and I were, when we were riding the Gulf Shores this past week, we were, we were playing Ezra and Nehemiah on the Bible app through the, through the car radio. And you listen to Ezra and Nehemiah and all the problems and enemies that they had and these, this lack of resources that they had and, and uh, uh, the lack of faith that they had. They were all wanting to quit. And there was all sorts of uh, people trying to stop the work that they were doing, and yet they got that work done. They got it done in, in four years. In the sixth year of King Darius, they finished the temple. They finished rebuilding the wall and refinished the temple, and people were ready to come back to Jerusalem and live there again. So, so God moved those mountains. In fact, it is absolutely amazing how he moved those mountains. Uh, you go back, I'm not going to do it tonight, but you can go back and read those letters that came from the kings. And when they got in trouble and these enemies were trying to shut down the work that they were doing and threatening to kill them and threatening to assassinate Nehemiah and threatening to kill Ezra and kill all the Israelites and burn down the work that they were doing. And when they, were, they had no money to get the work done, they, they, they had no military to protect them. And then all of a sudden, they write to these various uh, Persian kings and they get these letters back. Go back and read those letters. 
It is absolutely amazing how those mountains came down. Those kings write these letters back to them and they tell them leave these, they tell the, the, the Gentiles to leave these Jews alone and, and if you mess with these Jews, we'll come and burn your house down and take your stuff away so you better leave them alone. And they sent them military regiments in to help them, to help protect them. They sent them resources. They sent them gold out of their own temples to, to, to replace the gold that had been taken from the, the, uh, the, the original temple. I mean, you read those letters, and these are Iranians. These are Persians. Could you imagine today? I mean, think about it. Could you imagine the Ayatollahs saying, we're going to send money over to Israel and, so they can rebuild Jerusalem and they can rebuild the temple. They, they can build the third temple and we're going to give them gold to put in the temple. That is absolutely amazing that these people did that. That God put this on the heart of these kings to, to bless these Israelites and bless the work that they were doing. And it, as I was listening to that, it reminded me of how God controls the hearts of men. The hearts of the king is in, I mean, is in the hand of the Lord. And he controls what kings do. And he can allow them to do terrible things or he can allow them to bless us. And, and whatever seems to be a mountain, whatever has been, uh, is in our way of doing the Lord's will, he can remove that mountain by, by uh, touching the hearts of, of certain people and, and making things happen that would be impossible for us to do. They never could have done this if the Lord had to touch the heart of these kings. They would have died in in, in uh, uh, Jerusalem or they would have been chased back to, to captivity without having completed the temple or having rebuilt the wall or having rebuilt Jerusalem. But they did it. They did it in four short years by the grace of God. And then he says in verse number, I think it's what we're on verse 8, right? Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of the temple. We've, we've gotten that far. His hands shall also finish it. You're going to finish this task. Then you will know that, that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. You'll know who's the me there. You see it in caps. That's the Lord. You're going to know that, that everybody's going to know that Zechariah is a prophet and that his vision that he tells them about is true because they're going to finish this task that seems impossible. And you've got to give Zerubbabel credit and you've got to get Joshua credit because they did, at that point, Zechariah shares this vision with them. They didn't have the protection they needed. They didn't have the funds they needed. They didn't have the wisdom and ability to finish this temple. But he took the step of getting back to work and he, finished, he had already finished the foundation and he goes ahead and he finishes the temple and he does all of this through faith and God moves these mountains and in the sixth year of Darius, uh, the temple was complete. Then in verse number 10, he's, and we looked at this back when we were in Haggai because we talked about this, this fact that the, and you can read about this over in the book of Ezra, the fact that the Israelites who had been in captivity, who had been in Israel before the captivity, the older Israelites, they saw the temple that was coming up and they wept, And some of them laughed at it and scorned this temple and, and uh, scorned the idea of building this temple, uh, saying that, hey, this, is, this isn't anything like Solomon's temple. 
And so God rebukes them again now in verse number 10. And he says, for who has despised the day of small things? One, you can translate that a couple of ways. You can translate it uh, as a command or you can translate it as a question. Uh, do not, as a command, do not despise the day of small things. Some, inter- some people interpret it that way. Others interpret it as a question. Either way, it's the Lord rebuking the older Israelites, or any of the Israelites for that matter, who saw this temple going up as a small thing because it wasn't a small thing to the Lord. And we discussed that when we were in Haggai and we discussed that when we were in the first part of Zechariah. This was a big deal to the Lord. Why was it a big deal to the Lord? We're going to see that as we finish up the book. It was a big deal to the Lord because it was on that spot. It's going to be on that spot where the Lord himself is going to return and rule and reign in the millennial kingdom and then rule and reign forever. And so that's a holy site and that's a holy place. And what they were doing was foreshadowing what's going to happen in the millennium. And so it was very important what they were were doing. Even though it seemed insignificant to a lot of the Jews, the Lord says don't despise small things because because, uh, uh, this is important to me. For he who has despised... For who has despised the day of the small things? For these seven, he's talking about the seven eyes, the seven eyes of God. We've seen that figurative language over in the book of Revelation, and we've learned what the seven mean. It means divine completion. So it means that God has all sight. He has complete sight. And, and when we look at those four living creatures, uh, in, or really living ones, in the book of Revelation, they have eyes on the front and eyes on the back. That means they see everything, everything before them, everything behind them, everything present, everything past, everything future, everywhere. They see it all. And that's really the, the sight of God, God the Father. He sees everything. The plumb line, and then he goes on, he says, the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Uh, for these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. But, and the plumb line is used in construction. So he, they, they're anxious to see, they're rejoicing to see this work continue on. And they are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. So there's a lesson there for us. His eyes have always scanned to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, God the Father is imminent. That means he's everywhere. He's not that chair, but he's there. He's here. He's in my heart. He's in your heart. God is everywhere. He's in his imminent in his creation. And so he sees everything. And he rejoices when he sees people who are obeying him by faith, doing the work that he's called them to do. And so these seven eyes represent the all-seeing God. And he sees Zerubbabel at work. He sees Joshua at work. He sees these little Jews at work. And he rejoices. The Lord tells Asa over in 1 Chronicles chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. The Lord says to Asa, he says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. If you have a loyal heart to the Lord, if you're truly loyal to the Lord, his eyes are on you. He's watching you. He's watching you not to punish you, 
He's watching you in order to strengthen you and protect you and give you grace to do what he's called you to do. And when he sees you being loyal to him, he sees you doing what he's called you to do. He rejoices. Isn't that cool that the Lord rejoices in the labors of his children? And, and he's there with his children. He looks and he sees and he sees what's ahead of us and he sees what's behind us. He sees our needs. And those mountains that are in front of us, he says to those mountains, be gone. And, they, and our, the, our pathway becomes like a plane that we can walk straight and uh, fairly easily uh, in the will of God if we're our heart is loyal to him. You know, that's a big deal, though. I mean, that's a, that's a question we all ought, all ought to ask ourselves. Are our hearts truly loyal to him? I mean, God, when God speaks of a heart that's loyal to him, he's speaking of a heart that's really loyal to him. He speaks of, he's speaking of a heart that has no other gods before him. That he's God, he's king. And we don't allow any idols in our life to come in between us and, and uh, our relationship with the Lord. And when we do that, there's no mountain that can't be moved. There's no mountain that can stand in the way of our success. Then in verse number 11, then I answered and said to him, I like the way he always says I answered when he's asking a question. What are these? He, he spoke up and I spoke up and said to him, and you got to give Zechariah a lot of credit. He's speaking to the angel of the Lord. He's speaking to Jesus Christ. And he says, what are these two olive trees at the right hand of the lampstand and at and its left? And I further answered and said to him, and I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two golden pipes from which the gold, golden oil drains? So you got these, set, these seven lamps and you've got this oil coming down to earth to these two olive trees and, it's, and there's a branch and it's coming down and the oil is coming and feeding into these two olive trees. Well, we know in the Bible, oil always represents what? The Holy Spirit. And so it's a picture of the Holy Spirit anointing these two men. And then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord. And so he said, these are the two anointed ones, the ones who are filled with my spirit, who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. God of the whole earth. Who owns this earth? The Lord owns this earth. This is his earth. This is his universe, and he's here. He's imminent in his universe. He's also transcendent. He's wholly other. We talked about that Sunday. I mean, he's, he's holy, 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 and we're not, except by his grace we're made holy. But then he answered me and said, do you not know who these are? No, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And so who are the two anointed ones in context? They're none other than Zerubbabel and Joshua. And so we have this picture here uh, of them being given the Holy Spirit to complete the task that God's given them to complete, the task of rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple. But there's something else here. They foreshadow two other 
anointed ones that will come upon the earth during the great tribulation. Go over with me real quickly. And I'm, the only reason I'm going to hit this is because you'll see it again. And when you see it, you're going to be able to sit back and say, wow, I know exactly what this is. <laughs> so you go over to Revelation chapter 11. And look down at verse number 3. After instructions are given about the temple, then in verse number 3 it says in Revelation chapter 11, And I will give power to my two witnesses. We're not going to get into detail right now, but I'm pretty convinced that these witnesses are Moses and Elijah. And I'll explain that when we get to, or at very least, like uh, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. They will come in the spirit of Moses and Elijah. They will be like Moses and Elijah. That's, that's at the very least. But he says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. We're talking about what? We're talking about during the great tribulation. They will, they will uh, be prophesying. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing for the God of the whole earth. So see, Zerubbabel and Joshua in a small way foreshadowed these two great witnesses that will come in the very last days in the time of the great tribulation in the spirit of Moses and Elijah. And they will do, come in great power and they will do miracles and signs on earth. But the world will hate them because they come in the name of the Lord. And the world will kill them. The Antichrist will have them killed. And then God will raise them up from the dead and then pop them right back up to heaven. He'll stand them on their feet and all the world will see them. And you know, you would think at that point everybody would repent and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But they won't do that. They'll say, let the rocks fall on us before we'll have this man rule over us. That's how sad things will be on the earth during that day. You won't be here. Don't worry about it. But you talk about mountains being moved and the way being made a plain. And for those two witnesses, that's the way it's going to be for, for those three and a half years. They witness until God allows them to be killed. Nobody can touch them until then. When they, when they try to touch them, they call fire down from heaven. So uh, they're pretty tough dudes. But finishing up here, you go back to Zechariah and and remember what he said there, do not despise the day of the small, do not despise small things or the day of small things. You know, I don't know about your life, my life maybe, it might seem that we're involved in small things. And we're not the two witnesses. We're not Zerubbabel, we're not Joshua, and I'm sure that message was for the other people that were there helping them, the people that were cleaning up or hanging Christmas decorations. I don't know, they didn't have Christmas decorations, but, but uh, doing what seems to some people menial task. And the lesson there is here is that to the Lord, they're not, nothing that you do for the Lord is a small thing. Everything you do for the Lord is a big thing. And if you're doing a, Something for the Lord, you're a big person to the Lord. And his eyes scan to and fro throughout the earth. He's here, he sees. 
looking for someone he can bless, someone he can strengthen, someone he can empower to do his work. And when he does it, when he strengthens us, those mountains are moved. And by the grace of God, we finish what God has called us to do. And we shout grace to it, grace to it, because it's all by grace. We're frustrated and we can't seem to get anything done. It might be because we're trying to do it in our own strength and not in the strength of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just ask you to bless us by taking this word and signaling it deep down in our hearts, Lord. Help us to, to not just voice the fact that, that we realize that we can only do things by your power, but Lord, come to a point where we truly believe that. And Lord, just throw our hands up and, and Lord, ask you to, to do all that needs to be done in our lives. Lord, we need you to sanctify us. We need you to, to make us witnesses in this world, to do whatever type of service in this world we need to do. Lord, we need your spirit in order to love others like you want us to love others. We can't do any of those things on our own. And so we just ask tonight that, that Lord, we, we come to you humbly and just ask you to fill us with your spirit and empower us for the days to come. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.